This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Delighted to be joined on Football CFB by a guest that I've really wanted on the show for a long time, former Celtic Sheffield Wednesday St Johnston, Dunfermline and Partick Thistle player Simon Donnelly. Simon was part of the Celtic team that stopped 10 in a row in the 1990s and he is a regular on Celtic TV and other platforms with his punditry and podcast as well. First of all, Simon, how are you? I'm good, mate. Yeah, all good. Uh, difficult times, but we're, we're all getting through it. The, the first thing I want to speak to you about is getting to Celtic, because if I'm right, you were at Queen's Park before you came to Celtic. Yeah, I was, yeah. Uh, I was only six months at Queen's Park, uh, and really that just came about through a mate's brother who was on the books at Queen's Park, and I think they were looking for players, and me and my mate went along, uh, and luckily did well enough to, to sign there, but I was only there six months and then Celtic came calling, so it was a, a, a quick turnaround from playing football in the park with my mates to all of a sudden signing for Celtic. And when you sign for Celtic, what's it like when you initially go in there? Are you with the academy and the underage players first? Or are you straight up to training with the first team? No, I was with the, the, the under-18s and the reserves. Uh, I went to Geneva to play in a, an under-20s tournament uh, and on the back of that, Liam Brady signed me, uh, so I was very much full time. But there was two changing rooms, so I was I, I was in what we class as a kind of reserve dressing room. Uh, we trained pre season with the first team, but it was you know playing under 18s and playing reserve football for probably the best part of that first season before uh, Lou McCarry took me into the the first team setup and started training with the first team. When you start getting into training for the first team, who were the big characters in and around that squad at the time? The big characters, yeah. It was a, a fair first team dressing room. You know, Paul McStay was obviously the captain of the club. Uh, Tom Boyd was there. Peter Grant, very vocal in the dressing room, as you can imagine. Uh, Charlie Nicholas was there. Uh, you know, big names. Big names in, in the Scottish game, names that I kind of grew up watching on the television. So it was surreal to be sharing a training pitch with these guys. John Collins as well, of course. Uh, it was great to actually be, be training with them and then obviously break into the first team. You, you mentioned Paul McStay there, and, I, and I've got to ask you about Paul because he's, he's, he's a legend of, of Celtic, but for me, he's a legend of football as well because yes. a lot of people talk about <clears throat> Paul and how good he was at Celtic but he could have went and played for a top side down south like a Man United and he wouldn't have been out of place. What was he like as a player and as a person? Unbelievable both. You know, a, a fantastic top football player. Uh, I remember actually going to watch him for Scotland when he must have been 17, 18. I think he rifled one in against Iceland. I remember as a kid standing in a wet hand and watching that, you know, so to, to fast forward a few years and be playing alongside him was just... Unbelievable for me. Uh, the type of person, he was quiet, 
uh, led by example, but what an example, you know, to follow uh, as a player and a person. As I say, a top, top guy. He personified Celtic of that era as a player, but when Tommy Burns came in after Brady and McCarry, he sort of personified Celtic as a manager. What was Tommy Burns like <clears throat> to work with? Tommy Burns was probably my favourite manager to work under. Uh, it came at a really important time in my career where the club wasn't doing particularly well. I broke in to the first team, managed to get a few games in the first team. <clears throat> uh, but when he came in, he brought he, the, the calibre of player he brought to our club, you know, to lift everything to a, a level where we could go and, and challenge against Rangers. You know, he brought in Van Hoydonk, Andy Tom, the Canio Cadet. These guys, you know, it lifted everybody at the club. The way he wanted to play football, uh, the way he went about his business, helping the young guys. You know, if you speak to anybody in the last 20 years at Celtic, you know, it came through there, you know, the effect that that guy had on them, uh, coaching them, taking them back in the afternoons. It took me from, I, I'd regarded myself really as a, as a striker, and he took me to a, a more deeper role on the right-hand side of midfield where, I think he just wanted to take me out the firing line and I think he thought he could see something in my game which would suit, you know, building the plane and attacking from a, deep, a deeper area. Of course, that built up my relationship on the right-hand side with Jackie, who he brought in. Uh, and that team, for me, the 98 team was fantastic and we obviously went on to win the league, but the season before, or just a couple of seasons before, some of that football that we played in, in those games, you know, you were getting out there expecting to beat teams 2-3-4-0 every week. Uh, it was a real pleasure to be involved in that team. In the 90s, it was a tough time for Celtic domestically because Rangers were, were spending a lot of money. They were attracting the likes of Gascoigne and, and so many others. Let's talk about the cup competitions first because under Tommy, there was the real mixed bag. There was the Coca-Cola Cup, of course, famously against Wraith Rovers, which was heartbreaking in penalties. But there was also the, the Scottish Cup win in 94-95. Two different emotions. What were those finals like? Uh, well, the first one at Ibrox against Wraith Rovers, I think was my that was my first senior final. Uh, started the game, and we were expected, obviously, hugely favourites to win that one. So the way it panned out, you know, was a was a real blow. You know, the club had went so long without a trophy. Tommy was back. And it was a real chance to go and get the monkey off her back. Unfortunately, it didn't happen for us. Uh, but as you touched on there, thankfully, you know, the, the Scottish Cup came round pretty quick after that. And again, my, my, my memories of that game was it was a terrible, terrible uh, spectacle. Uh, it wasn't a very good final at all. And the only real bit of play was Tosh swinging that one in for Pierre to, to rise and header it in. And it proved to be the winner. But, you know, that was that was probably relief. Uh, but as a 19-year-old, you kind of, you maybe take it in your stride a wee bit. I, I remember looking at the likes of your McStays and your Grants, Tommy, Billy Stark, the reaction of these guys, because these guys, mid-80s, end of 80s, were used to winning stuff at Celtic. Uh, and it was it, the kind of expression in their face and the reaction in their their faces kind of said it all. It was, a, it was an important win. Uh, I think it was six years since we'd won something. So it was, it was a big, 
a big win that one. You mentioned Pierre Van Hoydonk earlier on. You were a forward-thinking player. You played very closely with him. Yeah. What was he like as a player? Because a lot of people with Pierre, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, sometimes I feel try and rewrite history because obviously he had some contract disputes, not just at Celtic. But when you look at his record, he was a phenomenal footballer. One of the best I've played with, Pierre. Uh, really enjoyed my time with him. Uh, clever, clever football player. Uh, went about his business, you know, professionally, stayed back after training. Those three kicks that, you know, would challenge the likes of David Beckham. If you if you look at his free kicks over his career, but he worked at that, you know, and he, he brought something else to the training. You know, me as a, a young kid kind of looking at him, right, if, if he's doing that, I'm going to do that. You know, I'm going to stay behind and, and follow suit. But he was a clever, clever footballer. And it's everything else when good players come in, it enhances your game as well. But you're right, people, maybe just the way it finished with Pierre, they kind of look back in it not as fondly as they should, you know, what he, what he produced for the club. But if you look at his goals to game ratio, as you say, throughout his career, it's phenomenal. And also played in a, a semi-final uh, of the World Cup with Holland, you know, so uh, one of the best I've played with. An incredible player, Tommy Burns, obviously, was was renowned for bringing in the likes of him, as you mentioned earlier, Andy Tom and Paolo Di Canio. What was yeah. Di Canio like? Because we all see him as it's been a big character. We witnessed that when he was down south. We witnessed that when he was a manager. What was he like to play with? Because he seems like, for me, the ultimate perfectionist almost. Aye, but he had that bonkers element to him as well. You know, when he first came in, it, it wasn't as if... Some players come into the club and breaking themselves in slowly, uh, getting to know people. He was the opposite. You know, he came with a swagger. He backed himself. Uh, and no wonder, you know, with the talent that he had. But the, the big thing that I take from my time with Paulo was the way he went about his training as well. He was one of the hardest. You know, he trained. What, what you've seen on a Saturday or a, a midweek, you know, that's the levels he was at in training every day. Uh, up the gym, working hard on his physique, you know, loved himself, absolutely loved himself, but he could back it up with the football and the talent that he had. And in, and in terms of those cup competitions, you had the heartbreak of the Coca-Cola Cup, as we've talked about, the, the, the joy of winning your first major trophy with that Scottish Cup. Unfortunately for Tommy Burns, he couldn't get the club over the line to, to win a league title. As a group of players, how how gutting was that? Because he, he, let's be honest, as you said, the club played great football. Fans still remember that era very fondly. It just wasn't enough in the end. Yeah, I'm gutted. You know, the older I get and the more I look back on those those times, I'm, I'm really, it's one of my, my biggest regrets that that team didn't get a title. If anybody deserved a title for what he gave to that club as a manager, you know, bringing creative attacking players back to Celtic, lifting everybody that was already there. Uh, he really deserved to win the league. We ultimately, with too many draws, we were up against a very good Rangers side uh, and it wasn't to be. But yeah, it's, it's one of the biggest regrets because, as I say, as you said there, you know, people, as much as people come up to me and talk about the stop the 10 season, a lot of fans remember that time because it sticks in your head because of the attractive football. You know, I see a lot of stuff on social media now on this day so many years ago. And when I look back at it, I'm 
hugely proud to be part of that team because, as I say, it was really attractive football to watch. Well, you think of some of the results. I mean, beating Hibs 4-1, Kilmarnock 6-0, Motherwell 5-0, putting, putting goals past basically most of the teams in the league. I mean, home and away. I mean, Hibs, you put four goals past them at home, but you also did it away as well. What was it about Tommy and the way he coached the side that, that instilled that attacking philosophy within you? Because it was a real free-flowing team, and I imagine training sessions were just the same. Oh, the training sessions were unbelievable uh, and great to be in you know it was all quick one two touch football angles bouncing it off people playing it around the corner clever clever you need clever players right enough to, to to execute that but that's what he brought to it you know that's if you watch his play that's what he was all about you know uh, just attacking free-flowing giving you the freedom to go and play uh, and as I say it was you, you just you were going onto the pitch expecting to, to roll teams over. As I say, too many draws in the end, unfortunately, uh, did us in, but it was, a, it was a really good team to play in. After Tommy leaves the club, Vim Janssen comes in and it was a massive season, as, as, as everyone knows at the time, and even now looking back with hindsight, Rangers were going for their 10th title they, they'd invested, as I'd mentioned earlier in the 90s, in some real top-class players, particularly from down south. They were the favourites, let's be honest, to, to win a 10th title. When Vim came in and Murdo McLeod obviously was with them, how did they set their stall out early on to, to explain to the players that you had the ability to stop Rangers from winning the 10, despite the fact that they had players that were maybe more well-renowned? I don't, I don't think they. I don't think they really sat us down and explained as much. Obviously, the, there was a lot of toing and throwing in terms of personnel. I think we brought in seven or eight new players over a period of time, uh, and it took that team a little bit of time to gel. You know, we lost the first two games of the season uh, away at Easter Road against Hibs and Endon Fermline at Celtic Park, which is the worst start possible. You know, for a new manager coming in as well. Uh, but we thankfully started to turn that round. I think we had a midweek game against St. Johnson in the Cup and then we went back up to McDermott on the Saturday and won 2-0. And that just kind of settled things down for us a little bit. Um, we started off well in Europe and I keep saying that the two-leg the two leg tie against Liverpool, where we were unfortunate not to go through against a decent Liverpool side, that was when, for me personally, I began to believe... You know we've got a, we've got a decent team here. We could actually do something. I think those games in Europe uh, really instilled a, a instilled a confidence in us uh, to go and make a challenge on the domestic front. What was it like when when Henrik Larsson initially joined the club? Because he's obviously a Celtic icon. You get some people that still point to that game against Hibs with Chick Charlie, etc. <laughs> was is it fair to say he took a wee bit of time to settle in and and get comfortable? I think he did. I, th I think he did. Even his, his first season, he was, he was top goal scorer with maybe 19, 20 goals. And then you look at what, you look at what he went on to do at Celtic. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have two seasons with him, you know, and in that season that we, we, we won it, I found myself up top with him for maybe 10, 12 games before Harold came in and then the, the, the pack was getting shuffled a wee bit. Uh, and I look back on that time as just unbelievable to, to be partnering him up front you know such a like Van Hooydonk but a clever clever football player uh, 
I always say after, when I left, something seemed to suit with Henrik and Celtic. He just went on to three, four levels above again. You know, he was scoring 50 goals a season. Uh, he was scoring in Europe. Uh, I think he just, the marriage between that club and Henrik just suited. And for them to, to pluck him away from Feyenoord, where I don't think he was maybe enjoying his football, maybe playing out of position a wee bit. Vim obviously knew him really well, got him to Celtic, and it just worked for him. It just clicked. And as I say, he got, I think he just kept getting better and better. Larson is undoubtedly a star of Celtic, and, and he was in that season that the club stopped 10 in a row. But the camaraderie was, was also important. I've spoken to Alan Stubbs and Craig Burley and a few others, and they all talk about the, the atmosphere that the players created. I want to ask you about Lambert and Butler, as they're known um, in particular, because they played a big part in that season. And Craig Burley, I think that season was was up there and amongst the goals as well. Yeah, Craig had an unbelievable season. Uh, came in just bursting from, from midfield, scored in the cup final. Uh, Lam- Lambo came a wee bit after that. The two of them just seemed to click in there. Uh, I think Burley... Butler would probably get forward a wee bit more than Lambo. Lambo would be the disciplined one in the, out of the two, but they just gelled. They were just fantastic engine room for us, you know, and for all the kind of creative players round about them. But big, big players for Celtic. Uh, and, and none more so that season than Craig, you know, 15, 16 goals from midfield. And when you look at the, the the Rangers games that season, they're obviously big in any season, but that season of all seasons was where the the eyes were on those games, particularly the pressure. There was a defeat, obviously, at Ibrooks, Richard Goff scored the goal. There was a draw at Celtic Park. What what was it? What were those games like that season? Because they had an extra edge to them, if, if an extra edge is even possible in those games. I was about to say, I don't know if you can get an extra edge, but I know what you're saying, just with both teams at the top challenging. Hearts were there obviously for a spell and then kind of maybe fell away around about January, February. Uh, but the game at Celtic Park where, fun enough, the two guys I've just spoke about scored uh, was, was huge. It was huge at the start, at the turn of the year. Uh, fantastic wee reverse for Jackie and Craig scores and then Lambo raises the roof with a, a pile driver. They, that was a that was a big one for us because I think we would have correct me if I'm wrong. I think we'd have fell way behind if we hadn't if we hadn't won that one. Indeed, uh, absolutely. And and just on Jackie, you're obviously very good friends with Jackie. And again, he's another player that, of course, he's highly regarded. But I think younger fans. I always say this. I'm 25. I always say this to to, to younger fans that that are in my family. What a footballer he was for Celtic and in his career, even when he went down south. Just I, I, not only someone that you loved watching on the park, but any time I've been lucky enough to meet him off the park, an absolute gentleman as well. I Jackie's obviously were really close, uh, and that kind of grew from initially meeting each other at under 21s with Scotland, and then Tommy brought him to the club, and we, we built up a good relationship on the pitch as well. Uh, we were of a similar age, you know, there was a group of us there, Phil O'Donnell was there, uh, Brian McLaughlin, we, we had a wee group there, you know, that were quite quite tight on and off the pitch, uh, but a fantastic footballer, I mean, he could play anywhere in the back four, played in midfield, 
found himself out the team when Martin O'Neill came to the club, ended up being Martin's captain in a dressing room with huge characters. That, that says it all for me, but how about Jackie? Absolutely, an absolute uh, icon for me as well. When we talk about the tender season, Simon, when, when I'm speaking to you, I've got to ask you, as much as you were delighted that the club wins 10 in a row, how frustrating is it when you look back at that Dunfermline game and think it could have been my goal that sealed it all? Yeah, everybody asked me that. Uh, personal note, yep, I was gutted that Falcon Bridge equalised. You know, it looked like my goal was going to take us over the line. You go down in a wee bit of own personal history. It would have been more probably for my family, that one. But again, I wouldn't wish the week we had on anybody. You know, we, we, we wanted to play St. Johnson the following day after that game at Dunfermline. Just the way we felt, we had to wait a week, try and be patient. But the scenes at Celtic Park on, on the following Saturday were, they'll live with me, you know, as long as I'm, I'm here. Uh, just fantastic. Relief in the end, because obviously Henrik scores early on and you're thinking this will be three or four today and we'll stroll it. It was absolutely anything but. I've watched the game back in lockdown, the initial lockdown earlier in the year, and you can see the nerves kicking in second half. You know, we throw everything at them in the first half and it's only 1-0, and you can see the misplaced passes coming, a wee bit of nerves, because, you know, the, the week before, still in your, your head, you're thinking, you're aware that Rangers were winning, they were getting the result, I think, at Tannadice, could tell that by, you know, the the crowd, and you're just thinking, one mistake here, and it's gone, so the second goal was the big one, you know, that was relief, and we realised then it was ours, there was no way St Johnson were coming back from 2-0. I imagine the party after that was, was went on for a long, <laughs> long time. Aye, uh, well, yeah, you imagine, right. Well, we, we had to go and play sport in Lisbon. Uh, it was something to do with the George Cadet signing. We were obliged to go and play in a friendly the next day. So we, you can imagine the state of our squad getting onto a plane to fly to Lisbon. The next day, we actually had to play them. I think it was a nil-nil draw, uh, but yeah, it wasn't our, it wasn't our best game. But we we certainly made up for it in the few days we were in Portugal. When you look back at that season in hindsight, and obviously Rangers are trying to to stop ten their own Scottish football this season, just how 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 proud are you of the fact that you played a big part in the season that is one of the biggest seasons in Celtic's history? Let's be honest. Yeah, massively proud. You know and. I can look back at now, my boys are of an age where they, they, they can look back and they can ask me the questions and you've got some footage there to show them. Uh, but in terms of what it meant to the to, to the club and everybody connected with the club, it's it preserved a record that was initially created by, you know, the best Celtic team ever. So it was hugely important that we, we protected that. Uh, and it's it's obviously came round now that there's an opportunity for, for the club to, to break that. At the moment, Celtic are struggling a wee bit, but it's it's not, you know, irretrievable. Uh, but no, I look back and it's, it's my greatest achievement in the in the game. You know, it, it got me to the World Cup uh, with, my, with the national team on the back of my performances that season. So it's it's my, my biggest biggest achievement. You mentioned getting to the World Cup and playing for Scotland. What was it like playing under Craig Brown? I've, I've interviewed Craig and he's, he's an incredible character, isn't he? I listen. It wasn't it wasn't written in stone that I was going to that that 
uh, tournament. You know, there was a lot of good players round about that era. Thankfully, you know, I was one of, I think, seven or eight Celtic players that was on the plane to France. And although I never actually got on the pitch, the experience will, you know, was was something incredible. You know, as a kid, when you're when you're growing up, that's you want to play professional football, but you're always imagining World Cups with Scotland. And for me to get there, you know, again, hugely proud. Uh, I would have liked to go on the pitch. You know, I've had that conversation with Craig uh, since, but at the time it wasn't to be. I think the last game, I think Scott Booth went on as the final sub ahead of me, possibly, if I, if I remember rightly. But the whole experience was great. In terms of the, the end of the, the, the Stockton 10 in a row season at Celtic, the smell of the club season, how did you and the players feel when Vim left the club because that seemed like the moment where he could have built on that but obviously he chose to go and Dr Joe comes in yeah again an incredible turnaround you know and that all that always relayed back to us in a bedroom in a hotel in Portugal I think it was like Sir Lambo and, and you know maybe the most senior players got got the squad into a room and, and explained that Vim had decided you know that was that was him uh, incredible after coming in you know stopping the 10 with one season but he's got his own reasons for it uh, maybe tell his story one day but you know it was it was crazy what what a way to to put your stamp on Celtic Football Club you know come stop the 10 and then be away within one season Mad and when you think of Dr. Joe coming in, one of the things that he's, he's obviously remembered for is the signing of Lubo Maravchik. What was it yeah. like when, when he joined the club? Because when I spoke to Henrik, he said within a couple of training, within one training session, you just thought, How on earth have we not heard of this guy before he joined the club? Yeah, that's that's my reaction as well. I mean, Hen when Henrik came, I knew Henrik from watching the dreadlocks in the 1994 World Cup when Sweden did really well. So I, you knew who Henrik was. Didn't Maybe didn't know quite how good he was when he came either. But Lubo, never heard of. Never heard of him. Uh, Dr. Joe had obviously worked with him, again, similar to Vim, knew what he was getting. Knew that the wee man would excel on that platform. But yeah, as Henrik said to you, uh, first training session, whipping things in with outside his right. He's then going over the other side and doing the exact same with the same quality with his left. Just an unbelievable talent. And I'll never forget his first couple of, I think his first game was against Dundee and he was pulling the ball down with his backside and whipping things in with outside his boot. Had everybody off their seats. I think we battered Dundee that day. And then the following game was the, was the Rangers game where he, he stepped up to the plate with two goals and I'll never forget his reaction at the first goal, the noise. He just stood there. It was like that goal when Cantona chips the keeper. He just stood there and kind of looked round as if, wow, this is this is what it's all about. But I wish we'd got him earlier. You know, he had a fantastic few years at Celtic, but what, what a talent. Every player I've asked this to that played with him still doesn't know. What was his best foot? Well, we've, we've did a few events with him and I asked him this. And his answer was, he kind of put me in my place. He, he, he says, uh, equally good with both or something like that. 
And then he said, you must have not practised as much as me signing. That's what he said. You know, so everybody says it's he's the gift of God, but it was all the, the hours of work. He must have practised on both feet continuously, but that's what he kind of he said to me. It's a good one for kids, actually. He says, you must not have practised as much as me. Certainly didn't have as good a left foot as him. <laughs> or, or, or a right. <laughs> And in terms of that season for you, um, Dr. Joe was at the club, as we've talked about. For you, that turned out to be your last season at Celtic. Yeah. In the end, did, why did you choose to leave the club? Was it your decision? Because, let's be honest, the Premier League must have been a big draw even at the time. It was. It was a draw. Uh, things were kind of similar with a new contract. And there was interest from, from down south. I'd been at the club seven years. I thought maybe my chance won't come around again, you know, to go and give another league or another country a go. Uh, and that's how it came about. You know, unfortunately, it was in this Bosman ruling things where it gets announced six months before me and Phil leave. And, you know, there's a lot of fans were only too enamoured with that. Uh, I mean, I have to say, me and Phil never treated it any different. We pulled on the hoops you know, you were a Celtic player. That's that's the way I went about my business. But uh, we took a bit of stick for it, and we went down there in 1999. And, and my, my experience of, of there, no disrespect to Sheffield Wednesday, wasn't it the best? You know, I had a, a lot of injury problems, or one ongoing injury problem. Phil had several injury problems, so we didn't really set the place on fire at all. You know, and never brought the form that we had at Celtic to Sheffield Wednesday. You know, we, we get relegated on that first season we were down. And, you know, it didn't really get much better. We lost a lot of the experienced players, tried to go with, with youth and the championship and struggled, really struggled. See, just on the late great Phil O'Donnell, what was he like as a, as a, as a person? Because he, he was he was undoubtedly a quality footballer. You could see that during his time at Celtic. You could see that latterly in his career, even at Motherwell. He was he, he was a really quality player, but everyone always talks about him as just being such a genuine human being. You played with him at Celtic. You moved with him down south as well. Just just sum up the the character of the man. Phil O'Donnell was one of the best guys I've ever met as a person. Before you even talk about his football. Again, another guy who I remember watching when he came through at Motherwell. I was still at school. I think Phil was three years older than me. And I remember the excitement when when Tommy was bringing him in because I thought, he's a, he's a player. He's going to help this team. <clears throat> Scored two in his debut at Fir Hill. And again, similar to Jackie, just hit it off with the guy. You know, a, a real great human being, family guy. A, a couple of young kids at the time. And when the opportunity came about, the, the tours were going down to, to Sheffield because, you know, it can be quite daunting going to a new club, new country. The fact that he was going down made the transition a wee bit easier for myself. And, you know, we had four years there where, although at Celtic we were good pals and he was in Hamilton when I was in East Bride, you had your own kind of families, you had your own kind of wee circle of friends. We'd get together now and again, but when we were down there, we shared everything, you know, his kids had christenings there, uh, birthdays, family get-togethers, we were, we were over at each other's house all the time, and 
I'm thankful for that, obviously, with everything that happened, that I had that time, the four years there, because it means it means a lot. You know, the football didn't work out for us for a number of reasons, but I had four years, you know, living closely with the guy. In terms of Sheffield Wednesday from a footballing perspective, <clears throat> you mentioned the fact it was a difficult period for the club. It was a difficult period for you due to ongoing injuries. What was the standard like in the Premier League compared to the old First Division as well? Uh, the, the standard was high, you know. I think the squad, I've said this, I think the squad had left at Celtic. In fact, I'll go on record. The, the squad I left at Celtic was better than the squad that I went into at Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, did some good players. I mean, Des Walker was there, experienced, coming into his career. Vim Yonk, very, very good player. Probably the best player that I played with at Sheffield. But again, getting on a little bit. I'd, I'd, left, a, I'd left a dressing room with Henrik Larsson at his peak. Marav cheated, came in, you know, top players. Uh, but the, the opposition you know, was definitely a lot better. We get beat off Liverpool. Liverpool, man, you were my first two games there. We get beat off Liverpool on the on the Saturday. Uh, Robbie Fowler scored. I think we get beat 2-1. I get subbed on my debut and then found myself not even on the bench at Old Trafford on the Wednesday night. And they, man, you turned us over 4-0. And then I was back in on the following week at Bradford playing right mid, disappointed that I'd been out of the picture completely on the Wednesday, so trying my best and gave away a penalty, tried to tackle back, and I think it was Peter Beagrey in the box. And I remember just thinking to myself, what, what a first week at Sheffield Wednesday. You know, I've been subbed against Liverpool, dropped on the Wednesday, found myself back in on the, on the, the following weekend and, and giving away penalties. So it probably didn't get much better for me. <laughs> At Sheffield Wednesday, there was one or two wee highlights, but uh, I wouldn't look back and it's been my, my highlight of my, my football career. It's, a, it's undoubtedly a, a, a massive club and you mentioned the fact it was tricky for not only yourself, but the club as a whole as too. <clears throat> After your four years down there, was it from not only a football perspective, but from a family perspective, was moving back to Scotland always on the agenda for you? It wasn't really, uh, you know, I was open to anything. Uh, my son had just been born. My first boy was born in Sheffield. So that had just happened in the March before my, my contract was up. Uh, a couple of mates had got us. I went and had a trial with, uh, this is weird. <laughs> I didn't even know who I was playing for. So it was a, it was a guy, Sean McCauley, said, come and play in this game at Grimsby. And I thought I was playing for Halifax and it was watch the other way about. It was to get me a game and kind of put me in the shop window. And Sean, you know, contacted me and says, look, come and play in the game. But then I was kind of tipped off after the game. I think, I don't know who it was, but they were saying that, you know, my reputation of being injured, even though I'd got, I'd got through the injury, you know, was going before me. And that's when I kind of thought, you know what, I don't think, anybody's going to take a gamble on me here. And that's when obviously Billy Stark had contacted me. I'd worked with Billy and he was at St Johnston and I had an opportunity there. I think I was 27. 
And I remember speaking to, to my wife and, and she was keen because we'd just had uh, my son. We had no family down there really. And she was ready for coming back up. And that's where we kind of made the decision. We'll come back up again. I knew what I was getting with Starkey. I knew I'd enjoy working under him. So I thought, get back up to Scotland, get back playing my football, get back enjoying playing football and see where it goes. You come back up the road and your time at McDermott Park is good from a personal perspective in the sense that you're, you're scoring goals, which is which is key for, for any forward-thinking player. How do you sum up that season for you? Because after that season at St Johnston, you get back to the, the top flight of Scottish football with them firmly. Well, I started enjoying my football again. And the, the, the big thing for me was, if you look back at my... I think I played most of the games. You know, so that was a success because if you'd looked to, towards the end of my... I'd go right through my Sheffield Wednesday career. You know, it was sporadic. You know, there was, I had a lot of injury problems, coming back, breaking down, coming back, breaking down. So to get through a season uh, and probably playing most of the games was success. I enjoyed it. We, we fell short of, of coming up. I thought another year there, you know, if Starkey had maybe had another year, we might have managed to get up. But he was, he was sacked and, and I think it was John Conley came in. And I think for me at that point, I just thought, you know, I need to go and try something different. You know, I'd, I'd enjoyed working under Billy. Uh, and that's what probably tipped my decision. I knew again if the interest would have been Went away on holiday, had a think about it and came back and decided that, that was that was the move. In terms of Dunfermline, how do you reflect on your time at East End Park? Because in terms of managers, you had obviously Davy Hay and, and Jim Leishman, two big characters of, of Scottish football. Yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed it again. A lot of good players, a lot of characters, a good a good uh, good dressing room. I enjoyed the the boys' company. We, again, we weren't doing great on the football side of it. Dunfermline had a, a really successful period just before. Uh, and for whatever reason, David Hayes' team, we couldn't match it. We could not match, you know, what Jimmy Calder would have did before. So that kind of just panned out. Again, I was playing a wee bit more. Second season, David, David got the sack and, and Jim came in towards the end of the season. We managed to keep Dunfermline in the division with the last few games. And I remember Big Leash pulling me in and just saying, look, we're no, we're no renewing your contract. Uh, we've had a wee think about it and you're, you're free to go. So I'd, I'd no, no problems with that. I know, I know how football works. Maybe I hadn't done enough to get another contract. So that was that. And then uh, Dick Campbell contacted me through, I think it was through Jackie, actually. Jackie... Uh, had given my number and he just spoke about Partick uh, and, and I think they'd just been promoted back up to the first division, told me about his plans. I thought, you know, I'm back in Glasgow, it's a, it's a local club uh, and it just felt right, so I ended up at the, the Harry Rags. And in terms of your time at Partick, you were there for a number of years. Firstly, though, on Dick Campbell, just describe the character of the man. He's, he's a legend in terms of manager in Scottish football. Larger, larger in life, Dick. Got a lot of time for Dick. Uh, great guy. You know, he's, he's 
everything was entertaining. Uh, brought in a good few players there that I enjoyed playing with at Partick. Uh, and again, just for whatever reason, maybe it's me, it's the jinx, he got the sack, or maybe it's just the volatility of management, but he was away and it was Ian McCall that came in. But I look back my time there, you know, that was where I played most of my football out with Celtic at Partick. And, you know, there's a lot of good moments. We, we, we took Rangers close in the cup a couple of times, I think. Played some good football at times and, and ultimately that got me, not that I knew at the time, but that got me the option of getting into coaching. And in terms of the the the, the latter years at Partick, see when you're coming towards the end of your career, was coaching always on your agenda, Simon? No, it wasn't on my agenda at all. Uh, I did my B licence and was contemplating my A, but I hadn't really gave it much thought. You know, I was still playing, still enjoying playing. Ian McCall had asked me to speak to Jackie about the, the possibility of signing him. And I spoke to Jackie and, and he, was, he was for it to come, to come and play. And I thought this would be great on a personal level. You know, we, we more or less started our careers. Well, he was at Dunfermline, obviously, but we, we, we'd, early stages of our careers, we'd, we'd played together at Celtic. And the way I seen it, we were going to maybe have a season or two playing it out at Partick. And I remember his first game, I think it was, down at Somerset. And I was playing up front. I think he was playing midfield. And I made a weekend kind of run and he's found me found me in the box and I should have stuck it away. I've missed it. But I thought this is going to be great because that wee bit of understanding's back. I can move and I, I know he's going to get. He ended up breaking his leg that night. Guy done him in the middle of the park and basically finished his career off. Uh, and then towards the end of that season, uh, Ian lost his job and the, the next thing, Jackie was getting asked if he'd be interested in it. And we get the last five games of that season. He says, I want you to be my number two. He boasts about how he retired me. I was saying, look, I think I'm 35. I says, look, I'll play. I can be on the pitch affecting the game. But he wanted my eyes and ears in the, he says, no, in the dugout with me. So he, he likes to tell everybody that he retired me at 35. In terms of working with him, um in management and coaching, what was that like? Because obviously you're close pals. I don't mean strain your relationship, because obviously you're still very close and you were through that whole time. But does it put a different edge on on your sort of relationship? No, because I think I think we get each other. I, th I think we I think uh, I think we look at football the same way, which helps. You know, I, I don't think we'd agree maybe on everything at different times. I remember us having debates in that that office. At, party about maybe one player in the, the 11 should we go with him or what, what about him and he would he would always like to go with his gut but he would at the same time listen to what, I, what my opinion was but we pretty much seen the game played the same way try and go and entertain similar to what we were brought up with with Tommy free-flowing football and try and attack and no fear give boys the license to go and express himself so the biggest thing for me was coming out of the dressing room as a player and then having to go in back in as assistant manager. But the boys, to their credit, you know, 
respected us, got on really well. The senior ones helped us in the dressing room. And we more or less took a, a year or so to build that team that went on to, to win the championship. Uh, so it was, it was really enjoyable, really enjoyable that period. Obviously, we, we leave there, I think, under a cloud because, you know, we're going for a championship and the Dundee United thing comes up. And we think it's a, it's, an, it's a real opportunity. Dundee United, a lot of good young players there too. Uh, a chance to really go and do something in the Premier. But, you know, that's where it, it all kind of took a turn for the worse in terms of how we were regarded with the, with the fans. Uh, but it, it was hard to leave Partick, you know. It was upsetting. And even try to explain to my sons that were a lot younger that we were leaving because they, they loved it there. But no sooner had we left, I think we were beating Rangers about three or four days later in the first game in the Cup at Dundee United, you know, so it's football. But unfortunately for us, we took a bit of stick. In terms of Dundee United, you worked with some incredibly talented players there. I mean, Mackay Stephen, Armstrong, Andy Robertson, so many others. What was it like working with young players that were coming up, coming up in the game and Wanting to really make it to the level that you and Jack had previously played at at Celtic and of course down south. Yeah, it was great. That's that's the best part. You know, playing football is the best part, but the best part of coaching for me is watching a youngster take their chance, you know, and, and the development of, of kids. You can help them tiny little bits. They've got to go and do it themselves. But there's a lot of talent there, a lot of talent and for a period at Dundee United, you're talking about Celtic earlier. For a period at Dundee United, we 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 went four, four, five, six. It was about five or six games on the bounce. We battled Motherwell at Fir Park. The confidence was high. The football was an absolute joy to watch. I remember standing with him on the touchline, just thinking, "This is we're like fans here. We're watching this. These boys are putting on performances that are." Their performances will stick in Dundee United fans' heads. Uh, it was great to work with the guys. Unfortunately for us, they performed that well that at clubs like Dundee United, people come watching, and we couldn't keep them. We couldn't keep Andy for more than a year. He scores five or six goals, marauding up and down that left flank, playing the same way as he's playing for Liverpool now. We couldn't keep him. Impossible. Uh, Gold went to Sporting Lisbon. Again, a little bit different mentality. Gold, they always wanted to play in Europe, so can he deny that opportunity for the kid? Armstrong, Mackay, Stephen, and Sifji eventually go to Celtic. It's it's difficult, and then you're expected to go and pull more rabbits out of the hat. It's, it doesn't work that way all the time. Absolutely. I mean, you see that with so many clubs that... It's, it's great when you've got the players at your disposal, but when they move on, it's like John McGinn at Hibs. I know Hibs have done well, but when you sell someone for a couple of million quid, at clubs in Scotland, like a Dundee United or a Hibs, reality tells you that you're not going to get that money to invest in a player of similar quality. So you're looking for the next hidden gem, which, which can be hard. Overall, how do you reflect on the time at Dundee United? Because some real, some real highs there, as we've talked about. Yeah, we got to a couple of finals. I think one of the things that went against us was obviously the St. Johnson final. Big, big game for us. Thought we were going to do it. The four or five 
players that I just spoke about there, none of them really hit top form on the day. It was just one of those ones where we didn't, you know, it didn't click for them. I've, I've watched it back once, refused to watch it. I watched it back once recently. I think my son was watching it. And we have two times the ball hits the underside of the bar and the inside of the post. And normally would one of them would go in and they didn't for us that day. And they, they, they get a goal right on half time. Uh, we went to sleep in terms of marking. The second goal was a really messy goal and we were beat, you know, so we things like that didn't go for us. But I, I enjoyed my time there. Less, the last six months less so because things were going against us and a lot of that wasn't to do with the football. But uh, initially when we went in, I really enjoyed working with the guys. Great environment to work in. Uh, sports scientists at St Andrews Uni. All that was great. The boys were great to work with. Uh, I mean, it was good. It was, it was really good. Following Dundee United, you have a spell down south at York by Jackie. Um, you've obviously been involved with the punditry and co-coms at Celtic um, and a few other projects as well. How much do you just enjoy watching football and still being involved in it in different different avenues now? Because on Twitter, I love when you're, you're talking about the big games down south and the big games up here. Because for me, it's clear to see that, yes, you played football at the highest level, um, and you've coached at a really good level too, but you, you just still come across Simon as, as being a lover of football and, and a fan of the game as a whole. Well, it's gave me so much in my life, and <clears throat> from when I kicked about the streets as a kid, it was my dream to to play football uh, and to, to get to the level I did. I'm, I'm grateful, you know, for all the opportunities. It's my passion, football, you know, football and music, really. Uh, but... I, I'm like every other fan, but I, I, want to, I want to watch creative football. I want to be entertained. Um, the coaching was good at times, other times it wasn't so good. But again, I've had a, a short spell in at Bacon recently and I questioned myself before going in. And after 46 days, as somebody kindly counted out on my Twitter, 46 days I was out of job again. So you kind of go, is it worth it? Is it worth it? You know, you go in there with good intentions, try and get some good young players, try and help them in the first step of their career, and you find yourself out after 46 days. So I enjoy the different things I'm doing. It's a lot easier watching football and just commenting on it, that's for sure. Uh, you know, the coaches say that you're relying on boys, you're, you're relying on people on a Saturday to go out and perform and particularly in social media, not that I'm that bothered. Uh, it's you that gets judged, you know, but I suppose that's the game. You mentioned your, your love of music there. Who would you say are your, your favourite bands? Because from, from looking at your Twitter and the, the, the clips you share, it seems to be Manchester-based. Well, that's for me, that's the best. <laughs> Oasis and Stone Roses. That's, that's what I grew up with, you know, Stone Roses from school, Oasis probably going into late teens, early 20s at Celtic. Uh, but there's a lot of good, I'm, I'm listening to a lot more nowadays. I, I really like, there's a lot of Scottish bands out there and it's, it's, easy, to, it's easy to help them in it on Twitter. You can retweet something, you know, it's hard times for everybody, but these, these guys out there are 
you know, try to earn a living as well and try to make their own way in their, their own game, music. So it's, it's easy to click something, listen to it, retweet it, give your opinion. Absolutely. And the, one of the bands that I've noticed you seem to really like at the moment is the Snuts. Snuts are great, aye. Snuts are great. We've I, I made friends with a, a wee guy, Adam Frame, who's in the Catoons. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation. Catoons. But uh, I made friends with him a few last year. We had him over at our place, Don McNamara's in Spain. Had him over playing with his mate. And I think he knows the snuts, but we were talking about it. He brought them to my attention, but they're, they're, they're a great band. Great band. There's a lot of good good young Scottish talent there. Just on Don McNamara's, um, that's been a venture that's been successful in Spain. Am I right in saying that you're planning to bring that to, to Glasgow as well? Possibly. Possibly. We've, we had to close the one in Spain. Uh, obviously, with everything that's happening, you know, it was sitting there empty. It, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't working. We had, we had big plans for this year. We, we had a, a weekender, which was going to be like in a mini convention. We had that all booked, and at the eleventh hour in March, had to pull it with ten excels coming out. Uh, it was going to be a good weekend, but everything's went upside down, you know. And I spoke to our business partners, and we decided the best thing was just to kind of cut our losses at the moment with it. But the success we had, and the attention we had, and, and the players that we had in doing Q&As and stuff, we feel it's something that will work. So, yeah, it could it could be interesting if we can get somewhere. Obviously, after all this, carry on just now, but it'd be, it'd be good to get something something here. No, it certainly would be. And and the, the last thing I want to ask you about is you've obviously um, been involved with uh, First Star. You're bringing Henrik Larson to, to Glasgow alongside many excels as well. Just how excited are you for that event into 2021? Listen, we've been waiting. This was scheduled for May this year. Uh, big event for us, the Hydro. Our biggest event to date. And managed to get the three lads, Martin O'Neill's involved. We've got a lot of other players that are going to come as our kind of guests. We had to reschedule it to August. It was then back to February. It's now June the 3rd next year. But we, we did a little bit last week where we got the three guys on Zoom, just allowed them to talk to each other. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, it was brilliant to be fair. I enjoyed the, the stories. And actually, yeah, actually watching it back, I was on the, the Zoom call with them and then to make sure they were all on and then I pulled out to let them chat. So I'm watching it. I'm thinking this this thing at the Hydro is going to be excellent. And we did a little piece with Martin O'Neill as well. You know, and he kind of whetted the appetite as well. So I think it'll be great. Hopefully we, we, we get out of this uh, pandemic as soon as we can and, and it's something for people to look forward to. I, I'm certainly looking forward to it. Uh, I think the three boys will be great. Absolutely. I look forward to, to not only that event, but all the other events that will be coming uh, in the near future as well. Listen, Simon, it's been uh, great speaking to you tonight. You've given me an hour of your time, which I'm incredibly grateful for and I'd love to get you back on in the future. I've really enjoyed this. No problem. Pleasure. Pleasure. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our 
shelves will all be open. They'll be filled with song. They'll be filled with song.